Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every single Wednesday that you're going to want to check out. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. On today's show, we have some awesome segments lined up. First one is going to be When Does Training Stop? Yes, is there ever a point where you can stop training your dog? We'll talk more about that today. Then comes the list. Yeah, it's a list that I've compiled and put together of everything I think you need to do to make a well-rounded dog. Now, definitely a list of, of some exercises, some training. What do you need to do to make an awesome pup? You'll find out today. Then we're going to have our breed of the week followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, go ahead and email me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what animal has the highest blood pressure in the world? Yes, what animal has the highest blood pressure in the world? I'll give you a hint. It's not humans. (laughs) I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in the show. So stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, when does training stop? Now, this is kind of a good question. When does training stop? When can I stop training my dog? And to some degree, the answer is really never. <laughs> because training never stops. Okay. Does it become less intense? Does it become less active? Sure. Absolutely. Do is, is there a point where I don't have to bring my treat pouch every time I go for a walk? Oh, yeah, definitely. I can go walk my dogs right now without a treat pouch on and not have a problem. Even Nemo, for that matter, my newest guy. Um, I don't necessarily need the treat pouch to get success at this point in their training because I've strengthened certain behaviors enough. Okay, and that's that that's more to the point. It's not that training stops. Okay, look, look, guys, at the end of the day, training is really just conditioning. You know, that's all it is. It's it's just conditioning. And we talked about this recently, conditioning in dogs and, uh, you know, Pavlovian theory and all that. And it's all about what you strengthen and how much you strengthen it. So if you spend a lot of time, like really honing in on certain behaviors and strength, for example, look, you, you don't realize it, you don't, but the sound of a leash what happens when when most people go grab a dog's leash? The dog gets really excited and comes running over to them and knows they're going for a walk and they're really happy. And you just trained your dog every time you touch that leash. Okay, so even though you're not necessarily doing something active, you're not even giving them a piece of food or anything like that, you're strengthening that behavior of I'm gonna go get leashed up because fun things happen. So just by grabbing that leash and taking them for, we've actually strengthened that behavior because you're consistent with it. Most of us walk our dogs uh, regularly, even if it's just to use the bathroom. If you're consistent with something and you pair it with reinforcement, boom, look at what's going to happen. You're going to strengthen that behavior. You pair it with some kind of reinforcement that animal desires before you know it, you've got to strengthen behavior to the point that you don't even need a treat pouch anymore. You don't even need, all it takes is the leash. Okay, so that's kind of the 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 essence of conditioning. Look, how many of you out there that are are not you know not youngins? <laughs> how many of us are well aged? <laughs> it doesn't take much for you to brush your teeth every day, does it? Because you've been doing it for so long, and you get something out of it, and you conditioned yourself to wake up, brush my teeth, go to bed, brush my teeth, uh, and it becomes this autopilot kind of thing, all because of 
conditioning. So it's the same thing with your dogs. You don't, you know, when you're a little kid, uh, what happens? You brush your teeth, you get maybe a reward or you get to stay up 15 extra minutes. I mean, I don't know. Come on. I'm just spitballing here. But <laughs> the point is you, you get that behavior strengthened to a point. So when you're 40 years old, you don't need that extra reward anymore. You just keep doing the behavior and it's no different with your dogs. Okay. Uh, I have to brag for a moment on Penny Lane and Colby Jack, you know, my two pups that unfortunately we, we lost this year. Uh, Penny was last Mar or excuse me, last year, it's 2022. There I am doing it again. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Been a long year, huh? Um, but you know, I have to brag on them again for a moment because I mean, first of all, they were just both such unbelievably incredible dogs. I, I, in a way I feel bad for my newer dogs. They've got such shoes to fill <laughs> because Penny and Colby were so incredible. Um, and that's, that's the point. Cause I didn't need a treat pouch to get my dogs to sit and stay to do the front door exercise. I didn't need a treat pouch to take Penny and Colby for a walk or for that matter, Lucky and Fred, the other dogs I had that adopted later that passed away years ago. I mean, hell, I don't even need a treat pouch now to take Nemo and Riker, my two newest dogs, for a walk. I definitely don't need a treat pouch to take Violet and Coco for a walk right now because I've conditioned and strengthened these behaviors to a point that I don't need treats to, to, to keep that behavior going, okay? So your training never really stops. At the same time, guys, I still strengthen behaviors that are good. I'm still going to tell Coco and Violet who have been doing walks great for years. I'm still going to look at them and go, Hey, good girl. Good job. Good pup. Every now and then we're out on the walk and they're doing great. Right. Uh, every now and then I still give a treat. Cause why not? Uh, why, why wouldn't I want to intermittently strengthen behaviors over time? Keeps them going. So training never completely stops. But it also doesn't take on that same intensity as when you first start. And, you know, it's, I had a client the other day who said, it's something to the effect, and I love it, because he's so right. He's so right. He's like, I just don't understand why people can't just buckle down for a couple weeks, make these changes, reinforce this stuff, and then not have to do this again the rest of their lives. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Like, like, thank you. You get it. <laughs> you get it. I can't stress it enough, people. You want to change your dog? All you got to do is buckle down for a couple weeks, really hone in on strengthening behaviors you like and punishing behaviors you don't like, and you will be shocked that your dog will choose those options every time if you make them crystal clear. If you make it, oh, look at you, you do the, you do A, B, and C, and you get food, affection, reward all day long. But you do D, E, and F, and eh, punishment comes with that. You don't want, your dog's going to figure out really quick A, B, and C works a lot better for them. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> look, the example, the client I'm actually talking about, I hats off to them, guys. They, they've really been doing some good work. And it's not been easy. It's not been easy for them. They've had to fight their own emotions, and they're doing great. They're doing a great job. I'm really proud of them. Uh, they should be proud of themselves in a handful of weeks, the amount of change they have seen in their dog, all because they're changing. And some of the stuff they're having to do is a little extreme, you know, like uh, but one of the one of the owners, the dog is a little, a little hot on, right? Really likes her a little too much. So she had to take her affection level down. So it hasn't been the easiest thing necessarily for her to have to ignore her dog for a little while. But that's what it's going to take to create the balance in the relationship again, okay? Uh, you know, husband's got to take the affection up a little more. Not that he was ever being mean, but the dog liked wife a little too much. <laughs> and so that's why he just tries, needs to try to be buddy-buddy more with the dog. And the wife has to take the affection down 
to create a better balance in the relationship. So it's not always the easiest thing, but they're buckling down and doing it. And these changes that they're having to do are temporary. This isn't forever, right? She'll be able to bring her affection back in eventually. Um, but for now, this is what we have to do. And like I said, you know, he figured it out. I got to give him, he's just like, I don't get it. Why don't, why don't more people just, why don't they just do this? <laughs> I'm like, thank you, man. I know uh, a lot of people do, but there are quite a few who don't. Um, you know, they expect the changes to happen without change happening, which just makes no sense. Um, but anyway, you know, what really influenced this, this segment today was another client, even a, a different client who she's awesome. You know, she does her homework. She's constantly trying to make everything better with her dog, trying to find out ways that she can make her dog's life better, make her training better, the walk better. It's, it's just awesome. Awesome. It's like, there's always room for improvement, which there is for everybody, myself included. There's always room for improvement with your dog. Um, and she looks for it and she tries to find it and solve it. And, and I really commend her for that. But someone asked her the other day, when are you going to stop training your dog? When are you just going to let your dog be a dog? This kind of hurts me, honestly, guys. It hurts me. Because these people want to let their dogs be maniacs. They want to let their dogs feel aggressive. They want to let their dogs feel anxious and they think that's normal and they think that's okay. And they think that's a dog being a dog. What? So because she wants her dog to behave well, because she wants her dog to be well-adjusted, because she wants her dog to sit when she asks it to sit. She's the mean one, guys. And it's all because she continues her training. Training, while yes, it definitely goes down and you never, you know, you don't have to keep up the same level of maintenance you do as when you start. It never actually stops. The boundaries never go away, so therefore the training never stops. If your dog keeps being a good dog year after year, I got news for you guys. It's because you keep the rules in, in place, and that's training. That's training. Your dogs have been trained, but you're still kind of actively training to keep those behaviors going. Otherwise, your dog wouldn't keep being a good dog. The reason my dogs were good year after year, time and time again, is because I reinforced and strengthened that desired behavior in them all the time. Even if it's just through a good boy or a head scratch or a belly rub, you know? Um, man, I love my dogs. <laughs> I really do. I really, really do. Uh, I'm a lucky guy. Um, you know, I've, I've had some great dogs in my life, and it's, it's, it's all thanks to the work and time that myself and my wife put in with them. You know, it, it really is. It doesn't just come that way. I'm not just lucky. I didn't just, I mean, I'm a lucky guy, but I didn't just luck into having good dogs. You know, my wife and I talk about that sometimes. We go, you know, imagine if Penny, she was a sweet dog, but if Penny had been in a different household, she could have easily gone the other way. She was a bit hyper sometimes as a puppy, even with that half Great Dane in there. She was still half a lab. Uh, and Great Danes are very playful, you know, very bubbly dogs, even when, when they're not on the, laying on the couch. Um, but yeah, her behavior could have gone the other way. You know, really. So we, we talk about that. My poor Chihuahua, my poor Chihuahua. She's got a great life now. She's doing amazing. I say my poor Chihuahua. My poor Chihuahua when I adopted her, you know, who knows what her life was before, but I know it wasn't great. I know that much. And unfortunately, she's the kind of dog that could easily end up in the wrong household where somebody just wanted a cute little chihuahua and weren't going to, was you know, maybe weren't going to do what was best for her and was only going to make her separation anxiety worse. 
So I think about that all the time. I'm so grateful um, that I had the opportunity to give Coco such a good, good household, good life and make her such a confident, good girl, you know? Um, so training never stops guys. It doesn't ever stop. It, it definitely is more maintenance. It, it gets to be more maintenance than it does active training at some point, but that's up to you. That's up to you. And that's going to be the more time and effort and dedication you put in at the beginning. And the more you can be consistent from the start, the less you have to do later on, okay? That's how you make an amazing dog. And that's how the training never really stops. But I, I, I can't understand a world where people don't want their dogs trained. Apparently that exists. <laughs> I have a hard time understanding that. Um, those, are, you know, those aren't the people that hire me because they see no problem with their untrained dogs. Uh, I would say to each his own on that, but no, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. Uh, to not train your dog is the wrong way. If you're listening to this podcast, you most likely already know that. So <laughs> when does training stop? Never, never, ever, ever, ever keep training your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a dog cast, it's the list. I'm going to try to put together a list today for you on what makes a good dog. What steps do you need to take? What training? What exercises? What do you need to do to make a good dog, top to bottom? So, we're going to run through the list of things I think you need to do, practice, uh, implement with your dog and in your training. And to me, you know, being able to do all of these things, this list. Uh, is what creates a well-rounded and good dog. And isn't that what we all want? At least I hope. <laughs> Some of us want wild and crazy dogs. I don't know why, but hey, to each his own. Um, I mean, I guess. I, I don't think the dog's the happiest it could be if it's acting crazy, but that's a different story for a different day. So, the list. <laughs> now, look, I, it really doesn't matter if we're talking a puppy or a full-grown dog. I think this list is important because it creates boundaries, it creates rules, it creates structure, and it creates purpose for your dog, which in turn gives them fulfillment, right? It's going to fulfill your dog and make your dog happy. So it's not just a list for us. It's not just a list for the owners. You know, these are these are uh, great things that are going to help you out as an owner to have a well-behaved dog and not be so embarrassed by a misbehaved dog. <laughs> but the list is also really good for your dog. This is what's going to ensure that you have a, a happy dog, a well-adjusted dog, right? And, and 
you know, we're not talking about happiness and sadness and pets today, but it's what's going to make a good dog. Okay. So the list, the first thing I'm going to start with on the list is to me, one of the most important tools when it comes to training. And that's the crate right now. I've talked about the crate quite a few times on this podcast, I've done entire segments on crate training before. So definitely go and check those out. But a crate is such an important tool, guys. It allows us to establish boundaries and rules when we are not home or maybe when we're asleep at night, when maybe, you know, you're not there to implement the rules, but the rules still stay there. That's the first and foremost about the crate. Crate training is also a great way to alleviate separation anxiety. Um, you know, it's it's a healthy way to teach your dog it's okay to be away from you. So now again, doesn't matter, puppy, full-grown dog, every dog needs to know how to be crated. Now there's also just regular lifetime logistical things about a crate. Let's say your dog needs surgery down the road or early on, even as a puppy. We need to be able to keep the dogs off their feet, right? It's for a safety reason that it's gonna be good that your dog knows how to be in a crate and be comfortable with the crate. So that way, if your dog needs something like surgery, you can keep them off their feet. How about us Floridians, <laughs> right? If we need to evacuate and there's a hurricane coming, your dog probably should know how to use a crate because whether you need to go to you know a hotel, hey, let's just say you're gonna get out of the state and rent an Airbnb, or you're going to go to a shelter. All these different options are without a doubt going to require you to crate your dog when you're there. Okay. Uh, look, just recently I went on a vacation, right? And I went up, we, we did a cabin rental. And when you're in the cabin, right, the rules there state when you're not there, <laughs> your dog needs to be crated. So another great logistical reason for crate training. I can't stress it enough, guys. That that to me is kind of where the list has to say. It just, it has to start there. It has to start with the crate because it's one of the most important tools when it comes to training dogs. Now, down the list after crate training, we're going to go to commands, right? Pretty obvious. Everybody knows they want to teach their dog a sit, teach their dog a stay. Now, I've talked about my five core commands before. Uh, it's what I believe every dog should know. It's pretty basic. It's a sit. It's a stay. It's a lie down. It's a drop it and a leave it. Now, a drop it is once your dog has something in their mouth, you want them to relinquish. A leave it is when you want something, uh, you want them to leave something alone. And of course, that something could be food, could be a toy, could be a squirrel running across, could be a person you don't want to say hi to. That, that command is really helpful. Um, but obviously, guys, commands. We have to teach our dog commands, and I believe you can't have a well-rounded, well-trained dog without those commands. Now, just because a dog knows how to sit doesn't mean they know how to listen, <laughs> right? So that kind of brings me to the next point, focus, right? We have to teach our dogs how to focus. Dogs don't inherently know how to focus. We have to teach it, okay? So commands and focus sort of go hand in hand because your dog has to learn how to focus to create commands to some degree, but commands are a great way to start teaching focus to be able to bring our focus to the, to the next level, in our training. So I, you know, look, I always say if I could only give two pieces of advice for training any animal on this planet, it's one, own it, confidence, act like you've done this a thousand times before. And the second thing is focus. Know where your animal, where your dog's focus is and have the ability to guide and direct it. Okay. So definitely has to be put on that list. I mean, focus has got to be on there. You have got to be able to control your dog's focus. You have to reinforce and strengthen that focus in your dog. Okay. So again, we start with the crate training. Then we start with some basic commands, teaching our dog basic commands. And then the next thing on that checklist is focus. Okay. 
I, you know, I would even recommend writing this down because to me, this is, this is it. This is kind of a, this is what makes a good dog. And if you aren't hitting every single one of these in your training, you're missing out on some, some important stuff, right? Uh, now, of course, you know where I'm going to go with this next. Or I, I can, my regular listeners are like, when is he going to get to it? The walk. <laughs> Leash work and the walk, guys. Of course. I mean, that's like, duh. A dog has to be able to be good on leash to be a well-rounded dog. Now, when we talk about leash work, guys, one thing I've kind of, I think I've briefly touched on it here and there, but when we talk about a leash, you know, the reason leash work has to be, a dog has to learn how to walk on a leash, the reason leash work has to be taught is because of instinct. And what, what do I mean by this? I mean, I'm talking about fight and flight mentality. And when we put a leash on a dog, right, we're actually taking away their ability of flight and they know it. And that's why dogs tend to pull, or some dogs might freak out when you put them on a leash. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll hear that when my dog really panics on a leash. Um, we have to work on that. And what's happening is we, they haven't been properly taught to accept the leash. It hasn't been conditioned as something they, they can surrender to and feel comfortable with. So leash work has to be taught, right? It kind of goes against their instinct, uh, a predator's instinct to be trapped, if you will, uh, like that. Now, again, we teach them to overcome that instinct, overcome that initial panic. And instead of reaction, they think about it and go, oh, you know, every time I could put on this leash, we go for a walk, I get food, I get affection. Hey, this isn't so bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all right on the leash. <laughs> and that's what we end up teaching to a dog and why they do well on a leash. But I just kind of wanted to make that little side note there that you have to teach leash work. Sure, some dogs just take to it. I mean, there are there are just some dogs who slap a leash on them and boom, they're like, hey, this is awesome. I have no problem. I'll follow you around. All is great. Uh, cool. But <laughs> other dogs you put a leash on and you just don't get that level of success. So leash work has to be taught. And of course, it's much easier to teach our leash, leash work if we've already started working on that leash through commands and through focus, right? Um, and that's why I'm kind of going in this order too, right? Uh, and then, you know, once we've got leash work, once we've got walks starting to happen, what do we want to work through next? Distractions, right? Distractions. We want to be able to take our dog out into public and have them ignore things we want them to ignore. We maybe want to be able to approach people and, and have them not lose their mind at that. We want to be able to have them walk past other dogs and not lose their mind. So there's all these different distractions we have to work through. Now, if you've been working through your focus, your leash work, and commands first, and even crate training, believe it or not, has a role in this, um, if you've been working through this list, kind of knocking them out in order, then the distractions are going to be a lot easier to deal with. But if your dog doesn't know how to work, uh, walk well on a leash, if your dog doesn't know a sit, if your dog doesn't know a stay or redirect their focus, if they don't know any of those things, then trying to approach these distractions and deal with them it's probably just not going to go very well for you. So remember, it's very important to go out there first and work on your leash work and your commands, then try to work through your distractions. Okay. Now, great ways to work through distractions are to take your dog out on field trips, right? the pet store, Home Depot, Lowe's. There are a lot of awesome stores out there, retail stores, where you can actually bring a, a pet store is an obvious one, um, but like a Home Depot or a Lowe's, it's a great place to take your dog to do some dog training. A lot of these stores are actually pet friendly. You can even go Google and find a list. I'm sure there's a lot of local stores in your area that allow pets. Um, go out and explore them, guys. Take your dogs out. Make sure you've got your treat pouch. Make sure you've done your leash work, right? Uh, but that's a great way to get them working through the distractions. Take them out to lunch. Take them out for hikes. Get them seeing and experiencing 
different sights, different sounds, different smells. Uh, you know, I like to go downtown in my area. It's not a, it's not a huge down. You know, we're, we're a pretty small town. Uh, it's not a big downtown by any means. But there are shops, there are cafes and restaurants. There's people walking around. There's dogs on the weekends. There'll be live music, a lot of cars. Of course, on the weekends, people riding their motorcycles around. There's a lot of loud noises, good noises, um, that allow me to teach my dogs to ignore these distractions. Okay. So you can't really teach your dog to ignore things without getting out and finding things to ignore. (laughs) But as I stress to my clients all the time, you know, if you're only getting out once a month with your dog, then they're really not experiencing the world around them and you're not getting much practice at, at ignoring those distractions. Okay. So that needs to be on your list too, is field trips with your dog, getting your dog to experience out, getting your dog out and about to experience the world around them. One little side note, I try, I, there, there's one, one distraction in particular <laughs> I really try to hone in on with dogs to teach them to ignore, and it's high-pitched noises. <laughs> it's high-pitched noises. And look, I, I'm specifically referring to, and I don't mean this to, you know, slight to anybody, but I'm specifically referring to people who approach dogs, and kids for that matter, who approach dogs in a very high-pitched voice and, And what does the dog do? What's the dog's response? Overexcitement, craziness, barking, jumping. Now, I've talked about high-pitched noises before on this show. Why do dogs cue into high-pitched noises? You may not like the answer, but here it is. It's because it sounds like a dying animal. Yep. <laughs> dogs are predators at the end of the day, guys. Why do squeaky toys squeak? Why do they hone into to a woman's voice and with overexcitement more so than a man's voice? It's instinct kicking in, right? So I really try to teach dogs to ignore those kinds of noises because, look, I, I can't control everybody else. I can't control strangers that to come up and approach my dog with craziness. We're going to talk about that. You know, that'll be another segment for a different day, I think, right there. <laughs> my biggest one, one of my biggest pet peeves on people approaching other people's dogs. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I try. That's one thing I really like to hone in on, especially with puppies, because it's really easy to get puppies to ignore it when you start when you start with this young, uh, is to make a really high-pitched noise and teach the dog that that means sit, relax, and get food. I make my high-pitched noise again, ask them to sit, relax, and then they get food. Sure enough, after a few repetitions, guys, the dog starts figuring out. Every time David loses his mind and goes at me, I sit and he gives me food. I relax and he gives me food. And so the dog starts making the connection of every time I relax, every time I hear this crazy noise, every time I hear madness, I relax. If I reinforce and strengthen that behavior enough, sure enough, out in public, the same thing will happen. They'll see a crazy person coming at them and sit down and relax as opposed to trying to pull my arm off and jump all over them. So uh, one distraction you really want to try to set your dog up to fail before <laughs> before the real distraction actually comes at you. Uh, food for thought on that one there. So, okay, so <laughs> getting back on track here after we work through our distractions and for that matter, simultaneously, you know, this next one can be done at an early age. Now, a side note on puppies here, guys. Now, let's let's not forget. Let's please be safe. Socialization. That's the next thing we're going to talk about. Socialization with puppies and, you know, with, we want our dog to be socialized with other dogs as well as people. Now, the, the dog side of it, this is just what I want to talk about real quick. Let's not forget 
puppies need to have all their vaccinations, guys. Um, normally, the vaccinations go through about 16 weeks old. That's when they get their final round of, of vaccines. And it's very important that your puppy has all their vaccines before you expose them to a lot of dogs, okay? It's very serious stuff. Parvovirus, I mean, there's there's a few, quite a few different things a puppy can get at a young age. And you guys really need to be, everybody, you really need to be cautious. You need to be careful when you have a young puppy and make sure that they have their vaccines before you're exposing them to too many dogs, okay? Um, unfortunately, I do know some people in the past who, who uh, their dogs got sick at an early age. They were exposed to something, you know, hadn't had all their vaccinations, and, and the puppy didn't make it. Um, it, serious, like this is, this is scary stuff. Nobody wants to lose their puppy. That's, that's horrible. Um, so please with the socialization side and for that matter, field trips, right? What we just talked about distractions. You don't want to take your dog too much out into the world and expose them to too many things before they have all their vaccines. It's sort of like, well, I want to get my dog out into the world. What am I supposed to do? Wait till they're four months. No, just be safe and smart about it. Okay, that's all I have. Just be safe and smart about it. Talk to your veterinarian. They're going to agree with me. I know they are <laughs> because I'm agreeing with them. I'm not the biology expert, right? But anyway, just wanted to make that little little side note there with puppies. But again, you got to get your dog out. You do have to socialize them. Once they do have their all their vaccines, hey, get them to puppy classes, puppy socialization classes, doggy day camps, dog parks. Your friends have dogs. Your families have dogs. Get them meeting as many dogs, as many types, breeds, sizes, personalities as they possibly can. Okay, the more dogs they're exposed to and the more they learn at a young age to deal with it, the better. Now, of course, rescue dogs, it's no different, guys. Even an older dog, if it's not a puppy, still the same thing. We want to make sure they're getting proper socialization and they learn how to be a dog. And the best way for them to learn how to be a dog is to be around other dogs. Um... You know, look, I've got a dog in boot camp right now, and uh, she's she's a sweet dog. She really is. She's a sweet dog, but she was a rescue from the Bahamas, and she came with quite a bit of trauma. You know, she's a pot cake dog, and um, it definitely has never had any stability, rules, structures, boundaries in her life. And she was even, she was scared to come inside a house. You know, when they called me, they said they couldn't even get her inside. She just wanted to stay in the backyard. They could barely even get her in on the screen porch at first, and they were making very slow progress. But um, she's scared. You know, she's scared. She's kind of stuck in a little fight and flight mode. And I've only had her for a handful of days, and it's just <laughs> it's incredible when you get a dog like that around a stable pack of dogs. Um, around other dogs, amazing how you watch the tail go from tucked to start coming out and how these dogs give her confidence because now she's watching all of those dogs walk inside the house and she's going, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to follow. And she's following them right in, you know, no, been very little hesitation just within what, three days that I've had her three days that she's been here and just incredible progress I've seen with her. And that's because of that socialization aspect. So it doesn't matter if it's not a puppy, even an older dog, guys, that socialization is such a key part of training and behavior. Even if you have a well-adjusted four to five-year-old dog, guys, get your dog out seeing other dogs. I mean, I, people, we're social creatures just like dogs. I, we Especially these past year, two years have taught us anything. Um, we need, at least, I don't know, for me and most everybody I've met and talked to, uh, we need socialization. We need to be around our pack, our human pack, and dogs are no different, okay? So something to think about there. Now, the other thing on this list, separation anxiety, right? Separation anxiety is something we need to work on. It, it, it needs to be put on the list because there are things we can do to 
head off separation anxiety. And then of course, if the dog, if a dog already has separation, there's things we can do to approach that. Now y'all already know if you've listened to this before, if you've listened to my segments on separation anxiety, best way to tackle it is exercise. We're not going to get too deep into how do we fix this, but I am going to give you this one thing. Um, I had, uh, I had my half lab, half great Dane, Penny Lane, who, you know, we lost earlier this year, or excuse me, last year, it's 2022 now, crazy times flying. Um, gosh, I guess we're closer to a year. It was beginning of March. We lost her. That's, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but anyway, Penny Lane was, I got her at four, four and a half months old. She was a puppy and I was just starting my business and, and starting training and everything. And i really wanted to make her an amazing dog. And one thing I really never wanted her to have was separation anxiety with me. And in the first two weeks I had her, you know, I was lucky. My, my family's got this beautiful little log cabin out on a, out on the St. John's river. And I took her out there to the woods, just me and her. And one thing I did with her right off the bat was I would tether her to a tree. Yes. And I would start to walk away and she would start whining and I would just keep my back turned. I'm not walking away far. I'm not going very far away, but far enough away that she wanted the real thought I was walking away, wanted to be with me. And I would keep my back turned as so long as she was whining. But the second she calmed down and stopped whining and I could almost hear her lay down, I would turn back around and start walking toward her. The second she started losing her mind again, I would turn right back around, walk away and keep my back turned to her. She'd whine, wait for her to calm down. The second she calmed down, I turned back around, walk back toward her. We practiced this exercise for two days. And within two days, I would tie her to that tree. She would lie right down and not even make a peep, just be totally fine with it cool. No, dad, you're going to come back. I know you're going to come back. All good. And I know that me being whiny and crazy didn't get you to come back. Relaxing. Relaxing is what got you to come back, dad. So I'm going to keep doing that. It was the best thing I ever did for that dog. She never had separation anxiety ever again. She was incredible. She was such a well-adjusted dog because from very early on, I laid the boundaries down. I worked through these exercises and I taught her separation anxiety doesn't get you, you know, being anxious about me leaving doesn't get you anything, but being relaxed and calm gets everything. And so just a little side note, that was one exercise that early on in my training, early on when I, I really didn't know much, uh, but I knew what I should reinforce and what I shouldn't reinforce. Okay. So I didn't want to get too much on separation anxiety today, but I just wanted to share that story of Penny Lane with you because it, it, I, it was the, one of the best things I ever did for her and for myself, uh, made her such a well-adjusted dog. So, um, all right, next on the list, sorry, I know I've gotten off on a couple sidetracks today. It's kind of fun though, uh, <laughs> but it's a long list. It's an important list. And guys, you can hear how much goes into this. I did all of these things with Penny Lane. I did all of these things with my buddy Colby Jack. Even the dogs I adopted later on, Lucky and Fred, uh, in the past, same thing. Nemo, who we adopted almost at a year and a half, he was a year and a half old. We, we ran through all this stuff with him. We're still dealing, we're still working through this stuff with him, okay? And this list is so important. I've hit this, I had everything on this list with all of my dogs. Okay, so the next thing, let's keep going here. Check on triggers. I like this one, okay? I want you to check on triggers for your dog. This is very important, especially if you have a rescue dog and a lot of unknown about their behavior. Now, please use caution. If you need to hire a professional, by all means, hire a professional, uh, but please use caution when tech checking on triggers. But these are important things you need to know about. Can you put a bowl of food down? 
and take it away from your dog safely? Can you put a bowl of food down and put your hand in front of their face? Now, again, I don't want you to just go and do this <laughs> and take a risk of getting your hand bit off. So please be careful. Please call a professional. Uh, but especially if we have like puppies, guys, this is stuff I work on from early ages. So it is safer. It's easier to deal with. But you need to know these things. What about when a three-year-old comes up to your puppy and yanks on their tail? What's your puppy's reaction going to be? You need to know that before those circumstances happen, okay? So that's another important, very important thing for the list. You need to know your dog's triggers and know if you need to hire a trainer and, and work through these things, okay? Uh, look, they, a lot of times with food, the safest way to check on these things with food, use a tennis racket. Put your hand on the other side of the tennis racket and safely and carefully... <laughs> <laughs> safely and carefully you can approach a food bowl and at least you have a barrier there to test it out. Now, again, I highly recommend you hire a professional to work through these issues, to check on these things if you are unsure. Be safe. Don't do any of these things unless you feel 100% certain, comfortable, and knowledgeable on how to approach these things, okay? But triggers are something you need to be aware of. Okay. Last thing on the list. Here we go. The most important thing on the list. No, not necessarily. These are all important. Uh, but this one is a, I mean, it's important guys. Recall. We've talked about a recall many times, getting your dog to come back to you when you call them. If your dog bolts out the front door, you need to know that you have control to call their name and get them to come back. You're going to go to a dog park. You need to have control of your dog. You need to be able to know you can call their name and get them to come back. The recall is something that is so important in training your dog. What happens when your dog sees a bunny across the street and decides to bolt for it, but there's a car coming? Your dog needs to know a recall, okay? Um, it, it's, it's to, to me, it's like, it's like, are you gonna teach your kid to run, you know, are you, are you gonna let your kid just run away from you? No, you're gonna teach them to come back when you say, hey, stop, come here, <laughs> right? It's no different. You need to have that control over your dog. So there's not much more that needs to be said about it other than you need to train your dog a recall, okay? That's what's gonna help make a well-rounded dog. So I'm just gonna run through this list here. Here it is, you ready? First and foremost, it's about crate training. You gotta crate train your dog no matter the age, size, or breed. Second, they gotta know their commands, absolutely. What a great tool to have. With those commands, we have to be able to start teaching focus and our leash work. Proper walks, that's what it's all about, right? Being able to control your dog on a nice, short, but loose leash. Then after we have focus, command, leash work going on, we wanna work through distractions. We can take field trips to go out and practice working through distractions, whether it be going downtown or pet stores or Home Depot, Lowe's, all kinds of stuff. Take your dog out to lunch. Maybe people just making high-pitched noises. Uh, we're gonna teach our dogs to ignore those distractions. Next on the list is going to be socialization. In order to have a well-rounded dog, you have to have a well-socialized dog. That also brings us to separation anxiety. We have to have a dog who is not anxious when we walk away, not anxious when we leave the room, uh, not anxious when we leave the house. Make sure we're working on those exercises to keep that down. Then we're going to make sure we also know our dog's triggers. Are there any things, uh, any, any specific triggers that could potentially be dangerous that we need to be aware of and maybe hire a trainer, professional to work through. Last, but definitely not least, the recall. Your dog needs to know how to come back to you when called most every single time. Guys, I can't expect perfection out of you or your dogs. We're all human, we're all animals. None of us are robots. Your dog will not come back to you 100% of the time, but hey, if it's 99.9% .9 
I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> so remember to always be working on that recall. Really important. This is an awesome list, guys. This list is how you make a well-rounded dog. These are things that I roll through with my own dogs, with my client dogs. And I think you have to be able to check every box on this list in order to create the perfect dog. The answer to today's trivia question, what animal has the highest blood pressure in the world? It's the giraffe. Yes, with their head averaging about six and a half feet above their body, their heart must constantly combat gravity to ensure the brain gets adequate blood flow and oxygen. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Chinook. Now, the Chinook is a working dog. Males come in from 55 to 90 pounds, with females from 50 to 65 pounds. An intelligent, patient, and loyal dog, the Chinook is one of the rarest of the AKC breeds. They are a muscular dog that was originally bred as a sledding dog, but their affectionate nature also earned them a spot as a wonderful family pet. They are eager to please and do well with training. And while they can be couch potatoes when they get home, they do enjoy working and need a nice, long, quality daily walk. They'll also be happy going for really any adventure with their owners, whether it's hiking or bike rides, boating, really just any activity. They can also excel at search and rescue, tracking, and lure coursing. The Chinook is a relatively healthy breed, but they can be prone to hip dysplasia, gastrointestinal disorders, and some allergies. Kept in good health, the Chinook can live to be 12 to 15 years old. The Chinook owes its origins to one man named Arthur Treadwell Walden of Wanalancet, New Hampshire, who was an adventurer and explorer. In 1896, when Walden was just 24 years old, he set off to Alaska to follow the gold rush. Now, he worked his way across the Klondike for six years, taking on different jobs such as a prospector, stevedore, logger, riverboat pilot, and a sled dog driver. By the time he returned to his hometown, he was a seasoned musher determined to create his own line of sledding dogs. Now, originally, he used some kind of Mastiff-type dog mixed with descendants of Admiral Robert Perry's Greenland Huskies. The pups were admired for their sledding ability, as well as their affectionate nature with people. Now, Walden, uh, he named the breed after his lead dog, Chinook. Now, Chinook in native is a, actually a Native American word meaning warm wind. Walden's breeding program was a success. However, his dogs were soon overshadowed by Len Sapala and his Siberian Huskies, who became famous for their 1925 serum run to Nome, Alaska. Walden did, however, accompany Admiral Richard Byrd on his expedition to Antarctica in 1928. Byrd was so impressed by Walden and his team of dogs that he wrote, Walden's single team of 13 dogs moved 3,500 pounds of supplies from ship to base, a distance of 16 miles each trip in two journeys. Walden's team was the backbone of our transport. Now, in 1947, Arthur Walden died, saving his wife from a fire that destroyed the Wanalancet farmhouse. After his death, the Chinook breed almost became extinct, with fewer than 125 dogs at one point in the 1960s. However, Chinook enthusiasts from around the world came together and saved the breed. Now, the culmination of this led to uh, 2013 when the Chinook was added to the AKC registry, but still being one of the rarest breeds out there. The Chinook is also the official state dog of the state of New Hampshire.
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Stephanie from Orlando, Florida. Stephanie says, my dog barks a lot. He barks when I get home, when I leave, when he's hungry, when he hears something outside, when we're in the car, and more. He is a Yorkie, and my friends are telling me he's just a barky dog. Is there anything I can do? Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. Look, it comes down to telling him no. Have you ever tried telling him no? It's the first thing I got to ask you, you know, um, and more than no. You know, there's more than the vocal. As we've talked about, the word no doesn't necessarily mean anything unless we pair it with some kind of stimulus, some kind of punishment. Uh, collar corrections, a little touch correction, nothing wrong with that. We can also just try redirecting it. Can you redirect and control his focus? Does he know commands like a sit, like a stay? Um, if he does, you can try redirecting. Look, kissing noise is always my favorite. Uh, this is kind of a, a couple part thing, honestly. I mean, look, you can try corrections at the end of the day, but you can also try redirecting his focus. Now, you can start by just teaching him a kissing noise means treat, you know, get food. Um, and every time you make that kissing noise, he gets food if he focuses on you and doesn't bark. Uh, maybe easier said than done in your scenario, but we'll see in your situation. But, you know, who knows? Um, so I would start by trying to teach him a redirect like that, get him to redirect, and then ask him for a sit and a stay. Okay, then you feed him a treat. So in moments when he does go to bark, if somebody's getting home or somebody's leaving or you see something outside, you can kissing noise, redirect him, ask for a sit, and feed him. Okay, and hopefully what we're reinforcing here, right, the idea is that we're reinforcing him to stop barking and relax, and we're not giving him anything when he barks. Now, at the end of the day, guys, I, I, look, I've done this a lot, and redirecting will get you somewhere, but when you have a dog like this, you know, Stephanie, your dog, it, is, it sounds a little more intense, like he's pretty barky about everything, and when it's this to that level of intensity, redirecting normally isn't going to fix it. It might fix it in a couple moments, might put a Band-Aid on it, but it doesn't really fix the behavior. And at the end of the day, you need the behavior to decrease. Rules of psychology tell us in order to get a behavior to decrease, we have to use some form of punishment, okay? Um, so, you know, look, whether it be through collar correction or something like that, that might be what you have to do. Always start with redirections first. You can start with that light redirection, trying to redirect his focus and hold it. But it sounds like this could be a little more intense and it might not be as simple as just a redirection. And you may need to provide some level of punishment in order to get the barking to stop. Now, of course, once he does stop, we're still going to use our reinforcement, tell him, good boy, give him a treat once he does stop. So he starts understanding barking gets him something that doesn't work for him and relaxing and stopping barking gets him something that does. Next question. This comes from Connor from Richmond, Virginia. Connor says, I rescued a dog almost a year ago, and he is awesome. We've worked on some training and leash work, and he really is just fantastic. But he has some crazy digestive issues. We've changed his food a few times, tried the probiotics and more, and nothing is really working. What should I do? Digestive issues. Yes, now look... Um, to me, when it comes to digestive issues, first and foremost, you need to get with your veterinarian, right? I'm sure you probably have. You've probably been working with your vet a little bit. Maybe you haven't. Maybe, you know, you delayed getting with the vet. You know, that that's the first thing. You got to talk to the professionals and see what they say when it comes to the biology side. However, I know behavior. <laughs> and believe it or not, sometimes the behavior and digestive stuff can go hands in hand in hand. Look, Connor, first thing I have to ask you is if you have any kids in your house, because if you have kids in your house, there's a very good chance your dog is getting fed people food. And that's why they're having digestive issues. I find it more often than not, 
that when I have a household that has children in it and the dog has digestive issues and they've, we've been trying this and trying that and nothing's working, there's the culprit. <laughs> okay, so you need to have a talk with your kids if you have them. Look, if there's no kids in the house, that's a different story, right? Uh, some dogs just are, are like people. Some ingredients just may not agree with their stomach or their digestive tract, and that's okay, just like a human being. Some dogs do have legitimate food allergies, that's not very often. People think it's more often than it really is. Uh, I think we get in our heads about, oh, we can't eat this, we can't eat that because he had diarrhea for two days. Guys, dogs sometimes eat a stick that didn't agree with them and have diarrhea. Over it. Sometimes they're just not feeling good and don't immediately chalk it up to the food is my point. However, it sounds like you've been dealing with this issue a little bit. So, um, you know, one thing you want to think about is how often You've changed his food. Sometimes it takes sticking with a food for a little while to really see the end result. Um, so I know he may be having some digestive issues, but if you can stay on the food for a little while to ensure it is the food uh, and not just the adjustment period of the food, that might be something to consider as well. Changing food too often, even with trying to find a problem and find a cause, can actually be creating the problem and not really being a solution. And, and then you're kind of running in circles. Um, so try one food and stick with it. Now, there is definitely something to be said about these gastrointestinal foods, specific foods designed for dogs with digestive issues. Uh, you know, I talked about this, I think, a couple episodes ago. Nemo, my newest dog, Captain Nemo, uh, he had some digestive issues. He, I had how many other dogs on the dog food I feed my guys? You know, I feed a lot of my different dogs this same dog food. None of them have had issues with it. I brought Nemo in on this food, and his stomach didn't agree with it. We got him on a specialized gastrointestinal diet. Boom. Took care of it. No more problems. Uh, I have a fantastic vet. I love him. He's amazing. And he, he's incredible. He knows how to get on this stuff. Um, so there's another thing. Maybe you should get a second opinion from a different, different veterinarian. Look, guys, we're all human at the end of the day. None of us are perfect. Uh, and maybe your vet's just missing something, missing a little piece to the puzzle. It happens. So it never hurts to get a second opinion if you find you're having troubles. Uh, trouble with it. Now, a couple other small little home remedies, if you will, for digestion. Uh, yams, canned yams, sweet potatoes, really good stuff for digestion can really help them out. So something to think about maybe to add to their diet. But again, I highly recommend getting with your veterinarian and talking more about this. Uh, maybe trying foods that are more specifically catered to that digestive tract. And if not, find a second opinion and see what you come up with. But they, they, you know, these kind of things can be a little tricky, but try to keep it simple and eliminate some external factors if you can first, then go the route of trying to figure out what food and everything is, you know, going to work best for your dog. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions for that listener Q&A, don't forget to email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Bye.